Hour Parking, sponsored by Wright Honda and Wright Toyota out of Scottsdale, Arizona. Of course, I'm your host, Jay Finning, recording from my studio in my home studio in Gilbert, Arizona. If this is your first time to the show, welcome. Hopefully, everybody had a great Labor Day weekend. You know, I can never forget about Labor Day weekend. It's kind of significant for me. As September 4th is my wedding anniversary, so my wife and I just celebrated 19 years. So, if you've made it this far, make sure you hit me up on social media. I don't need a text message. Hit me up on social media or hit my wife up if you're a friend of hers and tell her happy anniversary. 19 years. It's the bronze anniversary. I did some searching. I haven't done anything cool in a while. You know, as you, I think I've talked about this before. Maybe it's on the Patreon. I don't know. But the longer you're married or the longer you're in a relationship, the harder it is to come up with something creative as a gift idea because. You know, the first few years, you're reaching as far as you can in the bag, and you want to make everything as special as you can, and you're still learning about the person, but then you know everything. And then enter in today's era, where there's just, there's before we had eBay, we had to wait. Now it's Amazon, and we both have Amazon Prime. We don't have two separate Amazon Primes, that'd be ridiculous. But we have Amazon Prime, and we get, we pretty much buy anything we want within reason. And if it's something that costs a lot of money, there's a discussion. And <laughs> I do have my own allowance. That's kind of the joke. I get money every week. I make more money. She makes good money, but I make more money. And then I get my own allowance from my paycheck. And so I have extra money I could spend. And I also have my own Amazon account because since we all share Amazon, we can all see with each other's not only what you buy, but what you've recently looked at. So when it comes to the holidays, I always try not to look at Amazon as much unless I'm specifically shopping for me or for the home studio. And of course, I have to use our, our Amazon Prime because that's when you get shipping and all that other stuff. But I got her this rose. It's a it's a brawn rose. And so what do you do with that? I don't know. Maybe she could put it on her work desk at the end of the hall here at home. Something nice because I think one of the first things I gave her was like a porcelain rose. And we still have it somewhere. One of the petals is broke. I think Marcello broke it. One of the kids broke it when we first got married. But she still has it around here somewhere. And so I figured... Because there's a lot of misses, going back to what I just said. You have a lot of hits at first, but then you have a lot of misses along the way. And misses as in, here's a gift. Oh, uh, yeah, that's, that's cool. And everything I've tried to buy her to be inventive. Like, what can I buy her that'll make her life easier? You listen to their complaints. Their neck hurts. You get them a special pillow. Their laptop sucks. You buy them a new laptop. I bought my wife a laptop tray. Like a bed tray, pretty much like a food tray for the bed, but she didn't really use the tray. She probably thought it was a stupid gift. And before you know it, it was in the donation pile. So it's like, all right. But I think this bronze rose that I bought her is going to really hit hard in a good way. I even bought her a card, and I hate cards. I think they're a waste of paper. They are. They a card is a greeting card is good for one thing to hold a gift card. That's it. Now, that's just me. I don't mind getting them, but I also don't keep them forever. I read them like, oh, that's nice. That's special. That means a lot to me. Thank you. If you're lucky, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go up on the fridge. If it's a Christmas card, if it's a birthday card, it might go on my desk. If I have a work place to go to here in the studio, not a lot of room for shit like that. Chances are it's going to end up in the trash. But it's coming from a good place. Anyway, Coming up on today's show, John Naya returns. If that name sounds familiar to you, it should. And I also say this in the interview. I talked to him the other day for the first time back on the podcast since I think the last time we talked to him, he was in Japan. Now he's in the U.S. 
but he's tired of the U.S., so now he's headed back to Japan. So find out why after this word from 4 Online. Jay Finning here, and I want to tell you guys about 4 Online. For over a decade, 4 Online has been bringing the best truck accessories and truck parts to enhance the appearance and performance of all trucks and SUVs. They are dedicated to providing an extensive range of upgrades that will match any maker model on the road. Their truck products cover everything you need to give your truck a custom look and added functionality. And if you need a tire and wheel package, head over and use the configuration tool. They carry all the major brands of wheels and tires, so we'll get outfitted today. So visit them online at 4 Online or call them at 813-769-2451. Again, that's 4Wheel Online, the number 4 Wheel Online. He is Mr. John Naya. He is back. Last time you guys heard from him, I think he was still in Japan or he was just coming back. If the name sounds familiar, you've heard him on One Drake Wednesday. He has joined myself and Wes Tankersley, which shameless plug. You can catch us every Wednesday, usually most Wednesdays, 7 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. And also welcome back. Ah, it's good to be back. And just to clarify, yeah, the last time I was on uh, your podcast, I was in uh, Tokyo, Japan. And I actually had no plans to come back. Currently, I am in uh, Southern California in the San Diego area. How's San Diego treating you? You know, um, it's hot, man. Yeah. Not a hot weather person. I, I, I say it's hot. That sounds like I'm bitching because Southern California has you know some of the best weather. Everyone cl- clamors about it. But to me, it's hot because it never changes. You know, it's the same 75, 85 degrees all year round. And I can't stand that. You know, it's just something I just, I didn't grow up with it. It's something I've always despised about it. And now that I'm here again, I'm just not a huge fan of it. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lack of four seasons. Yeah, really bad. And that was something when I lived in Orange County in, in Southern California area before moving to Tokyo, it was just my biggest gripe about living here was, you know, I can tolerate heat. I can tolerate cold. I just, yeah. I just like the change, you know, your, your body is, everything just does a little bit better in my opinion. Food tastes better, clothing, you know, you have a lot more options. So speaking of Tokyo, you came from Tokyo about a year ago, maybe, but then you're planning on moving back to Japan somewhere. I don't know if it's Tokyo. Uh, So I don't know if my timeline is hundred percent correct, but you haven't been back very long but you're planning on moving again. What's different? What's changed? So just for clarification, yes, uh, I've been back. We're coming up actually pretty close to two years now. Oh, shit. And uh, yeah, I know. So you were nuts. you were back in time to have gone to, had you wanted to, because I don't even remember now, Portland. Uh, you're talking about Expo? Yeah, that was 21. I actually went to Expo as an exhibitor for Mita Motorsports. That's right. I, was I remember the ma- we had the masks. We had the Mita masks, mm-hmm. which were yeah. incredibly ineffective. They're they're you know they're they look cool, but they're made of like the worst quality. And you wear those to be compliant in the places where you have to wear a mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Mark's uh, <laughs> big marketing ploy was to right. have everyone wearing a Mita mask. Um, that's right. But yeah, so I did, I did go to Portland. I missed the last one. Phoenix. I think was Aaron. Yeah. Phoenix. I I wasn't able to go to that due to a, a a traumatic life event as you described it. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yeah, I have been back actually a little while and I do plan on going, uh, now that I'm back in California, I do plan on returning back to Japan 
in the near future. Original plan was to be December of 2023, maybe January, but plans are looking for the early part of 20 or 2024, I should say. And why that delay? And then why are you leaving us again? <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting because throughout my trials and tribulations and, and the things that I've dealt with, uh, what I, I should say that I did deal with in Tokyo and in Japan, the struggles. And um, I thought, okay, you know, the grass is greener. All of one of the big reasons I wanted to move back was because of the lower um, income that I was earning and, and wouldn't be really be able to earn in what I could earn here in, in the States. And that was the biggest motivator for me to move back was that, you know, I have student debt, I have, you know, some personal things. And, and to be honest, I had a lot of loose ends. And the first time I left, I ended up realizing I, I had a lot of loose ends. Like what? Still here in America. Um, like I still have my NSX here. Mm -hmm. That's a big one for me. And uh, I know everyone, a lot of people, and I'm, I'm, you're probably one of them, Jay, since you went down this road is just sell the car and be done with it. But I just can't bring myself to do that. Um, I love that car way too much. And unfortunately, because of, of the things that I've done to it and the, and everything that it is, I couldn't really sell it and replace it, you know, nothing, not even like for like, which is kind of a bummer for me, but at the same time, I've owned the car 15 years. I have a really deep history. Um, it's created a, a huge, it's got a huge sentimental value to me that can't be replaced, not to mention a lot of the parts on it I've either made or are incredibly rare and I would never be able to get again. Sure. Um, so the other, and then, so what's actually, which brings me to the delay on why I may not be leaving uh, when I originally wanted to was that um, my plan is to finish my NSX build, at least uh, an NSX engine build that I've had in the works now for probably about five years. And it's going to be a big, big NA build, 3.6 ITB nice. high compression. Yeah, really nice build. Um, so I'm building that motor for myself and three other big engines, all 3.6s for, for customers. So I'm planning on just, it's just taking a little longer to do all the machining, get everything in, in house before we, and I want to finish everything this time. You know, I don't want to leave with loose ends. I'm going to sell, ship, or trash anything I don't need. It's just a, a final move for me as far as permanent residence. So let so, me ask you a follow-up question to that really quick. So this time you don't want to leave with loose ends. Are you saying that the last time you did? And if so, you know, well, first answer that question. Did you leave with loose ends outside of just your own personal vehicle? Yeah, I left with some loose ends. Um, and by loose ends, you know, we're talking about incomplete projects or things left unresolved. Uh, you know, so I guess my biggest issue was um, I still had a lot of physical things here in the States while I was living in, in Japan. And okay. so it was like storage mm, or, yeah. you know, a friend's place. And it became, it was funny because it happened right after Portland. I had come back. Had visited um, the person who was storing my items and using a lot of my things. Um, like, for example, part of my storage 
deal for him storing all my stuff is that he was able to use all my my tools. My uh, you know, I'm a mechanic, so right. He he was like, hey, can I use your tools? I was like, yeah, of course, go for it, and that's part of the fee. And uh, so anyway, I came back from Portland, or I should say, I went back to Tokyo from Portland, and uh, like a week later, I get a message like, hey, you need to get all your stuff out of here. And I'm like, dude, I had been in the states for about a month. Where was this? when I could have done something about it, you know? Sure. And you really realize like how difficult it can be having ties to somewhere where it's just not easy to go at the time. COVID was pretty much dominating the world. And I also had issues with not being able to leave the country again, if I wanted to renew my visa, which I ended up doing. So I wasn't able to. So when I, once I landed back in Tokyo, I had to stay put, because you're not allowed to leave the country 90 days prior to renewing your visa or your visa running out. And uh, so I was right in that window and I, I was in such a jam that it really, um, it really put a lot of things in perspective for me. Like, wow, like I need to either, you know, just do it on a business standpoint, rent a storage locker or whatever, because, you know, I don't want this happening again. And, uh, so that's one thing that I didn't expect to have happen that ended up really putting a, a large thorn in my side. And, and it actually ended up ruining a, uh, a really long term friendship I had. Was this the person that you had to move all your stuff from? Yeah. Yeah. And then when I took my tools, they had assumed, uh, I guess for some reason or another that they owned the tools. So it became this very ugly, um, we'll call it a breakup. <laughs> um, but it was just like, no, dude, like you want all my stuff out. You don't get to pick and choose what leaves. If you're going to tell me you need my stuff out, all of it's going. You know what I mean? What do you think contributed to the decay in that relationship? You know, I, I had, especially when I moved back, uh-huh. I had tried to gain an understanding and I'll be honest, the relationship didn't deteriorate right then. It deteriorated shortly after I had arrived after moving back. And, and mm. I don't have any concrete answers for you, which is interesting because, you know, I'm, I try to be very communicative. I very much am like, hey, I read people's vibes and energy. And I know it sounds really cliche or whatever but i i'm very much like hey i feel like something's off like there's something about this relationship that's very different um is there something i did that upset you or something i said um let's talk this out i'm i'm you know i'm i'm trying everything i can and i did that on a number of occasions with this person and every time it came back with no everything's fine just you know and then you know we went from talking three or four times a week, texting, you know, just kind of whatever, being a very important person in each other's lives to, it just seemed like every time he needed, unless he needed something like advice or car help or something, it was pulling teeth to get him to do anything. So I was very, I just eventually took the hint that he just didn't want me around anymore. And I never got the resolve or resolution towards the end of that relationship that, you know, you would want to bookend and close that chapter. Which really kind of sucks. No closure. Like the world, it, all relationships, friendships, regardless, uh, job opportunities, 
when there's no closure, it always feels like a bad deal. Because I think at the end of the day, we just want answers. Like, just give me answers. Just answer my questions. It is what it is, but just what did I do wrong? What went wrong? So you come back from Japan and within, let me get the timelines right, within a month, two months, you're dealing with this? Yeah, I had started dealing with it and, you know, I had kept trying. I'm a tenacious personality, Jay. You probably know that about me, you know, and I'll tolerate a lot and I internalize a lot of things. Like, what did I do wrong? What what can I do better? You know, these sorts of things. Uh-huh. And I, I stopped really trying and I thought, okay, I'm just going to give him space. And uh, you know what? I have so much on my plate that I need to be doing. And if this person doesn't want me in their, their life, I need to walk away. You know, as much as it hurt, as much as it, it, it was not in, in the plan for me, um, this person just decided I didn't fit anymore. And that's okay. You know, like I have, that's now the realization I've come to. And it's taken almost this entire time that I've been back to really be okay with it in, in that way. Sounds kind of tough because you were, you're gone for a while and you're like, Hey, you know, it's cause your life wasn't all roses in Japan either. I recall you, you know, you joined us a few times on one drink Wednesday, you're trying, you're trying to do a deal, but you're still, you're not one of them, you know, and not to splinter too far off. I think that's kind of a core, like a hard coded thing of human nature where we gravitate and we support people who are like us and we don't necessarily look down, but we, we, no matter what we say, we see, we visually see differently for people who aren't like us. And I recall you had some distinct challenges in Japan trying to get ahead because of the fact of who you are and where you're from and what you look like. And so you're for everything that's happened to you here in the United States coming back home. It's like, fuck this. I'm done. I'm going to go back. So it has to be quite, like, are you just looking for a new, like a refresh start? Like we always, the cliche, a fresh start. And if so, why Japan? You know, why not Phoenix, Oklahoma City, you know, New York? And I know the answer based on a prior discussion, but I, if I'm asking that to you now, people listening are asking the same thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because... When I left here the first time and I was in Japan, one of the things I dealt with and, and was isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, like you said, I'm not one of them. I never will be. And I understood that. And yes, it bothers you and it does kind of irk you. And there are opportunities and certain things that you're not privy to not being one of them. But then there's also some benefits to that, especially now being able to look back on it and, and understand, um, you know, as much as the culture helps boost people and, and helps move them, it also hinders them and, and can almost be a prison that they are uh, very much so, uh, you know, contained and very much controlled by that culture. Now, the biggest thing I was surprised when I moved back, which is one of the things that is when I moved back to the States, I should say that that surprised me was I dealt with isolation living in Japan. And I was like, okay, I need to be around friends and family and I'm a social person. And so for me, it was, I needed this emotional support of of the people closest to me. So I came back and having not just the relationship we talked about previously degrade, I had other 
very close personal relationships degrade to a heavy degree. And I ended up, ironically, moving back made me more isolated, made me feel more isolated. And I, and I, and I believe I was, you know, I, I was mere miles away from friends and family and, uh, you know, nobody wanted to make time or have time. You do, you expect the kind of, not for things to go back to the way they were, but to some semblance of that and to go back and just be almost a complete stranger to these people was very difficult for me. Like I couldn't make sense. I can't make heads or tails of it. And uh, so I'm still dealing with that isolation feeling. I'm still dealing with the, the, the consequences of that. And so if I'm doing that and I'm already feeling isolated, why not live somewhere where I really want to be? And that kind of goes into the second part of your question is, is why Japan? Why not New York or Arizona or, or whatever? And uh, for me, it comes down to um, a lot of it comes down to the culture, the opportunities that I have there. Yes, they're not given, um, but like I love the weather. The seasons are amazing. The people are really good um, as far as, you know, they're polite. Crime is very low. Real estate is incredibly inexpensive. It's, contrary to popular, you know, uh, thought trains and, and, and uh, opinion, as long as you're not trying to buy something in Tokyo, it, it's very inexpensive versus right. trying to buy something in California. You're just never going to do it. I'm never going to be able to own anything in California. And for some people that's totally cool, but for me, that's not what I want. And the other thing is living abroad and living in Japan. I realized how much personal freedom I'm allowed there more so than I was here. Interesting. The land of the free, which, which really shocked me. You know, that was a big culture shock for me. And, um, you know, it's just a nicer way to live for me, you know, where you don't have to lock your front door. You don't need to worry about your car getting stolen. It, all of those things are, you know, uh, school shootings don't happen, you know, all this violence and, and these things that you and I have become, and all, most Americans have become so numb to. We see it routinely almost. It becomes very, it's a different way to live. Quality of food is another one. You know, I moved back and I gained a lot of weight and I'm making home food at home. It's just the, the ingredients just by themselves aren't as good. That's something that really made me upset too. <laughs> you know, I'm like, ah, you know, I used to go grocery shopping three, four times a week. You know, buy what you need for a day or two. It's really fresh, really affordable, and it's all locally grown and really, really healthy. Um, in order to live like that here, it's incredibly expensive. Right, I couldn't right. do it. I, I still can't do it, you know. And I was making good money. And there, were, there came a point when I landed, I was working for a really high-end um, garage, making the best money I've ever made in my life. And I just realized, like, housing costs everything has just gone so out of control. I, I just, it, it almost seemed like no matter how much money I made at some point, even my own apartment out of reach, which to me is ridiculous. So there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I'm a foodie and I never even mm. thought about that aspect. I'm just an ignorant American. And so when I think of Japan and food, I mean, my brain, I have a hard time escaping sushi mm. and some of the weird shit that i've seen on social media where like you swallow the 
octopus, which is probably like I I think that is a lot closer to the Mexico phenomenon of swallowing the shit tequila with a worm than the actual real Mexican Mexican cuisine. You know what? <laughs> what is the the culinary prowess over there in Japan? Is it really everything that we see on TV, or is there a lot more to it? Because obviously here you can get anything and everything you want, no matter where it's at. And I've heard the same thing about preservatives and and all the shit that we have in our food here that you don't typically have in other parts of the United States. So I'll ask you that first. So I'll let you answer that first before I hit you with a follow up question. Okay. So yeah, like you're like you're saying, a lot of things you see on social media are very hyper uh, hyper focused and, and very out not out of the ordinary, but it's a very small window into the culture right and living there the every every channel you have on tv any given moment there's four to twelve shows about food local food people trying local tiny dives you know how to make things at home it's unreal how food is really the center of a huge piece of their culture um, it, it's really incredible and they, t- they do, they spend all of their time focusing on how to do things better. And it's not just Japanese food, which yes, sushi is a part of that, but they have normal meals that people eat every day that are staples that have like, you know, meat, potatoes, but a lot of it comes down to things like mushrooms. They eat a lot of mushrooms, pickled foods and vegetables, um, are really good and popular. You'll get lots of those noodles, rice. And even like the, the cheaper to go stuff that you'll buy at the convenience stores or at the, the supermarkets, a lot of that is, is such good quality. You, you could definitely get by on it as a single person. And, and that's another interesting piece is that everything is sold in what I feel now, having lived there are reasonable quantities. Like you can't buy two chicken breasts or a chicken breast now without it being an absurdly expensive endeavor. You know, you have to buy the 30 pack or the family size, you know, um, here in America. That's just how we do it. Our portions are out of Uh, control. That sounds like it's more fact than hearsay. Because I hear that a lot. They say about America is we we consume so much food. And if you go to a restaurant, even me as a, I love eating, but I'll go to a place sometimes and I'll find that the more fine dining places aren't like this, but the cost is so expensive. It doesn't matter. But we'll just pull one out of the air let's say let's say you go to a fucking logan's right mm-hmm. and you go to your food or you go to and i got rest i haven't been to olive garden in, in decades but let's say you go to olive garden you order food and it's like who eats this you know who <laughs> eats this much food because they're always wasting like i don't i eat a lot but i don't eat everything and every time every single time john i'm like man why well, if they just cut this down, like I'm throwing so much of this food away, even when I go to breakfast, if I get a an omelet, two or three egg omelet, and they bring this fucking giant thing of hash browns, I'm like, I'm not going to eat that. So I always tell them I don't want hash browns because I feel like I'm wasting food. But it seems like that's not really a thing in other places. Or, you know, I, I mean, we're not talking about Germany, but we are talking about Japan. Is the portion thing, it's really a big deal, right? Oh, it's a very big deal. And it's super culturally not accepted to waste food. Right. It, it, you, you, you do. You end up feeling very guilty. And so what instead of quantity, they focus on quality and 
and how things taste and it's an enjoyment factor like especially when you go out to eat they're going to give you food that's delicious healthy you know looks phenomenal and uh and you want to go back and not feel incredibly bloated weighted down full of you know unreasonably unhealthy stuff of course there are restaurants and places that you can go but it's it these things aren't the norm like you mentioned olive garden you could have taught you could have said any chain restaurant and you're going to basically have the exact same experience where you're you're eating too much you're eating stuff that isn't prepared with you know awesome ingredients you know and uh so you know you talk red robin you talk you know it just doesn't matter buffalo wild wings like it's all just I don't want to say it, but crap. Yeah, it is. And so the food is a real thing, but that in itself can't be the thing. What did you, when you, you're getting reacclimated to the United States, the U.S. of fucking A, and you're coming at a time right off the heels of the worst pandemic in modern history, where we're still trying to figure everything out. Nobody really knows what's going on. You know, and I'm not a hardcore critique of the administration because my thought is nobody would have known what to do, but there were still obviously some issues. And so everything Mm. from that point seems more polarizing than I ever remember growing up on anything. And maybe it's just because I'm an adult now I pay more attention, but it seems like we're, we are so polarized on everything. And I don't know if, if you experienced that before you left, if it was different than when you came back. Coming back home to the United States had to still felt like a culture shock given the time you were in Japan. But what are the some of the things you noticed like immediately like, whoa, this is not I don't know if it's just me because I've been in Japan, but this is not what I remembered when I left. So I think you you really hit the nail on the head. You know, it wasn't I don't I agree with you and I don't think it was this bad, you know, uh, growing up. And I think we are more divided now as Americans, as people than we ever have been, in my opinion, it's, it's only going to get worse before it gets better. And I really hope, I hope I'm wrong, Jay. I Me really too. Hope I hope I we're do. both wrong. But I mean, <laughs> uh, right now it's not, it doesn't seem yeah. to be going that way. Right. You know what I mean? And, uh, unfortunately, you know, when I came back, yes, it was off the heels of a, of a pandemic and having, I, I thought, okay, well, my view, my understanding is all from an outsider's perspective of how the pandemic had affected the United States. You know, I only saw what I saw through Japanese news, internet, and through um, a third-hand experience, you know, talking to people who are here and going through it. Um, I spent the entire uh, pandemic in Japan where mostly it was very civil, very kind, very respectful and polite and to be honest, rather uneventful, minus a few incidences. Uh, and so coming back was an incredibly huge reverse. They call it, a, I think it's reverse reverse culture shock. Mm-hmm. Um, I went from being quiet, much more quiet, much more reserved, if you can imagine, uh, Jay, knowing me the way you do. Uh, and more considerate and mindful of others and then getting almost having that complete image of myself and, and the world shattered essentially the moment you step out of TSA and LAX, 
it, it was such a stark realization that, oh my God, like I had gotten really acclimated to the Japanese culture and lifestyle that I, I realized, wow, I don't fit in right now the way I am. Like I'm a very different person than I was when I left. And, uh, you know, I will say that Japan, and I, I think anybody who, uh, I think we all are always changing, always learning, always growing, or at least you should be. And, um, you know, I think if you're not, you're not doing things right or, you know, and for me, it was a very good change. I felt Japan brought out a lot of really good qualities in me and helped me refine a lot of um, characteristics that maybe I, I didn't have as much of here or li- when I was living in the, in the States. I think I went on a tangent there, but... No, no, I, you're I fine. Think. Okay, okay, cool. So as you were talking, I was thinking because, you know, we, we are more divided. It seems, it feels like we're more divided especially with all the cancel culture and the woke culture and pretty much anything and everything that we, that we have now. But you made me think about, and yours, your division comment through television, through movies, you know, is there, cause the only thing I can think of when I, when it's like we have the black, white and Latino wars going on here, social wars where people judge or have disdain. And even if it's not on purpose, sometimes it feels involuntary. But Japan and China, like, can you feel that when you're there? Because I know that goes back centuries, if not thousands of years, that conflict. Is it present or does the government do a good job of just splitting it down the middle? Or maybe you didn't see any of that. Like, what have you heard, seen? You know, I'm genuinely curious. And I just became curious when the last few minutes talking about it. So it's interesting you bring that up because one of the biggest gripes that a lot of Japanese people have are, um, and, and it's not just Japan, but a lot of places they are, they have problems with ch- Chinese tourists. I don't know if you've heard this. It can be some of the worst tourists in, in the world. And especially in Japan where everything's about respecting the cultural norm and, and doing things a certain way. Um, Chinese, it does rub things the wrong way sometimes. And there is, especially the older generations have a lot more prejudice and a lot more, um, right. Uh, understand, but, but what I really like to see about Japan and one of the, the biggest redeeming factors for me is even if the, someone doesn't like you, they're still going to be polite, mm-hmm. which is a huge, amazing piece of humanity to give someone. I don't like you, but I'm still going to treat you with respect and be polite. Right. If we could get Americans to do that, yeah, it it would end so many problems, <laughs> you know, and uh, it would just be such an amazing place. And that's part of the magic to me that is Japan and why I want to go back is like, even if people there who I met and I hung out with or I worked with and didn't like me, I did not know. And, you know, I was just trying to be polite and I did the same back. And you know what? That's all you can really do in the world. It's just, hey, everyone's trying to get through this, you know, and and just be nice to your fellow man or woman or whatever. You know, it doesn't matter. Be a good human being. And uh, I think a lot of that is lost here in America. So they say Canada is a lot like that, where they're nice to you. You know, they're nice to your face, but they hate your guts. 
And so the counter to that is, and this is almost a philosophical approach, you know, would you rather, right? You know where I'm going with this. Would you rather know up front that, hey, I don't like you? Or would you rather go around with the false pretense thinking that, hey, I, I think you're an all right person because I'm polite to you? You know, and I don't know if there's that's that comes down to each individual person and how they want it. Because I would rather, you know, you don't have to be nice to me, but at least be respectful to me. And I think that's what you're also saying versus smile in your face and can't wait to throw you underneath the bus because there's a lot of that going on. And the, I think the answer that most people would have to that is like, well, I'm being real. I want you to be authentic. If you don't like me, I want to know you don't like me so that I know what to expect from you. But then that also builds some defenses, right? Your guard is always up. So how can you actually get along with each other if I don't like you and you don't like me and we don't have to pretend we like each other? And even if we are polite to each other, it comes across as a little disingenuous because at the end of the day, you're a fucking I hate you type of person. Right? Exactly. That's, that's a strong you know, philosophy. Like, where are you on that? For me, you know, it comes down to, you know, there are times where, yes, you want to be straightforward and you want to make your feelings known. But on any given day, you're driving to work, or you're, you're, you know, I guess in the case of Japan, you're on the subway or you, it just doesn't matter. To me, if, if everybody could just be polite and, and kind of have that self-restraint and, and just understand that it's, it's, we're all going through this together. Um, it may, it, it somehow spreads this really amazing positivity in this air that you start feeling united with the people around you because you're all behaving in a way that benefits each other. It's not about me getting ahead or you and I having a good relationship. It's everyone around in a, in a large area. Um, imagine if people were polite and respectful on the 405 at 5 PM in LA, you know what I mean? Like it would be a very different world. There'd be a whole lot and less road rage shootings and accidents because once that happens, the entire freeway gets shut down. Everyone loses. Exactly. And that's what it comes down to. And that's the, that's the energy that, that gets trans transferred. And sometimes I feel like we get so caught up in the moment and so caught up in, well, this person this, so I don't like them, but, and, and you get in that emotional react, that's, it doesn't give you the opportunity to sit down, contemplate maybe why did they do that? Or maybe see a different perspective and being able to talk to them about that without having that weird confrontation, that polite buffer that respectful buffer can really, really leaps and bounds help not just the person who made the mistake, but maybe the, the you know, the person who's receiving it, uh, in my opinion, you know, and you end up with this weird, like, oh, okay, you end up with this really strange time. And since everybody has that respect for each other, you just kind of, okay, I learn a lot more about myself and I learn a lot more about those around me. What would John like to see change having lived here, left and came back? The things that you've witnessed that you think you've been able to either have your eyes open to now or that you've just like that wasn't like that before. Mm. What, are, what are one of the big things that you think is plaguing our society in America now that you can just wipe out 
and and not like oh I want world peace, utopian society, everyone should pick up their own trash. But <laughs> <laughs> the reality is just because this is an impossible thing. But what's yeah. one thing that you wish you could change that's different from when you lived here before? I wish people truly believed in being open-minded because for me it's been taken over just that phrase has been taken over and and weaponized it used to be being open-minded meant you could think anything you wanted and and i could think anything i wanted jay and at the end of the day you and i could have a sit down understanding um about we could have a conversation about politics religion uh, xyz didn't matter cars and uh you can have your feelings. I can have mine and my, my facts and not even facts, but just my experiences. And we both have that mutual respect that that's, that's just how you feel. And that's your, you have those feelings because you have those experiences and that's your life and that's okay. And I feel like if you are not with the mainstream thought train, then you are an enemy. And that is a really dangerous preposition to have that's a dangerous environment to be in mm-hmm. because at any given moment that thought train will change or, or go more extreme or less extreme and, and you could find yourself at any given moment on the wrong side especially coming from a place where north america united states is supposed to be the land of the free we were supposed to embrace differences and cultures and each other and help each other and it just seems like everything is working against that so if i could change one thing about people in the united states is that i really wish that they would actually be truly open-minded yeah because it's like the weaponization the overt weaponization of the legal system you know now you have to be very careful i'm going to ask you about something that i recently had on another episode your answer is not going to change the way i feel about john Aya, but (laughs) one of the things that's a big topic in our American society now that wasn't here before you left was the LGBTQ plus situation, scenario, movement, whatever you want to call it. Mm. What are your thoughts on just that, the way you've seen it since you've been back for almost two years versus prior? This is a loaded question. There's no right or wrong answers, but (laughs) the last time off I mean, it was kind of on the record, but off the record because that recording isn't here. You know, we've talked about some of the, we've talked about cancel culture and some of the stark differences that weren't a thing when you left. Mm. You know, that movement and people's reactions to it, people's reactions and support and not support of it. You know, where is John on those ordeals? Regarding the LGBTQA, the alphabet people, Yes, um, the alphabet crimes. Uh, the alphabet, yeah. You know, I when it comes to a, a person's sexuality or sexual preference, I have exactly zero dog in that fight. That means nothing to me. I will, I will make friends with LGBTQ plus all of them. That has no bearing on me me as a person or, or how I view you, it may treat me, you know, I may treat you different just on, you know, Hey, does that guy look cute to you? Or, you know, does that girl look cute? Should I go hide on her? Whatever, you know, may she treat, you know, but realistically it used to just be those sexual preferences 
were the information was only given to people who needed it. You know, if I go hit on a girl and she's like, Hey, I'm sorry, I'm gay. Okay. Well, I needed that information. So I wasn't a creeper or, you know, whatever it is. Um, guy hits on me. Hey, I'm not gay. That's okay. Or, you know, it doesn't matter. Now I just feel like it's such a, a label, a bandwagon to hop on. And I'm not trying to say that people shouldn't have rights to you know get married or or whatever again that that doesn't that doesn't concern you or i jay honestly it concerns the two people who want to spend their lives together or have intercourse or whatever it is they they want to do um i think the, the 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 biggest mistake is making it a legal thing making it trying to bring precedent to it and I, cause again, I think having been married, I, I'm thinking to myself, well, why marriage is inviting the government into my relationship. And you know, this, you are married. And, and that's the thing is it just becomes this weird, like third person in the relationship that you have to kind of consider. Mm-hmm. And I, and looking on it now, it, it makes less sense. And so I find it funny that the alphabet people want the government's help. They want the government in their relationships. And it's just a strange thing. And again, it's just that my issue with the entire movement is that you're pushing these things in me. You're pushing these things at me. I have to be okay with it. No, I don't. I don't care. You don't have to be okay with it, with me being straight. You don't have to, you know, we are all our own people. I can agree to disagree and we can both move on with our lives. Like that's okay. And that's kind of where I was going with, with the open-minded thing mm-hmm. is again, if you're not with the alphabet people, you're against them. And that's not true. I'm just trying to get through life. I yeah. have my own goals. I have my own thing I want to do. Sometimes, you know what? I may interact with people who are part of that club. Sometimes I don't. And I don't have a problem with that. I don't, I, you know, I'm not going to be disrespectful. And that's the whole point is, again, it comes down to being polite and respectful to your fellow person. Do I want to see people walking down in a parade, stark naked in front of children? I think that's wrong. Personally, I wouldn't want to do it. And I don't think it should be done because I think children, especially in today's age, are very impressionable and there's very little that they have to themselves. Like, I think parents now spend less time with their kids than they ever have before. So we're relying on media and schools and other avenues that aren't um, the nuclear family to help raise kids and guard them for the world and prepare them. And I think that's a really hard way to be. You're confusing kids and showing them things that a lot of grown people don't want to see or, or shouldn't have to see. Right. And it's, you know, I'm on record as saying this. Like, I don't like that shit. I don't like it. But it's, you know, there's a division even. It's not everybody in that community. And it's just like any other community. You know, I don't like screamer music. You know, I don't like parades, period. But there's other people who love parades. (laughs) (laughs) So that, But I don't need to see people walking down the street with no clothes on just because they're trying to show you who they are. And I think that people, most sensible people, can understand where we would be coming from 
there's people in the LGBT plus community that don't want to see that shit either. And then there's people who do, but you know, that's all well said. I appreciate, you know, that, that nice candid response, you know, because people listening to this, none of this is, was predetermined. We didn't have an agenda. This was all hundred percent off the cuff because it's, (laughs) you know, it's two car people talking about things that have nothing to do with cars. We talked about your car once or twice. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. 40 something ish minutes we've been recording. And it's all about people because at the end of the day, we are just people in society who have our own opinions, our own experiences, our own observations. And we all go through different shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, here we are. So, you know, John, I appreciate you taking this opportunity to uh, jump back on hard parking. You know, we all look forward to finding out what the next chapter of your life is when you get there and look to hearing from you again. And hopefully you can hop on One Drink Wednesday, whether you're still here during one drink Wednesday, or if you're on the other side of the world from Japan. Well, thank you, Jay. It's always a pleasure. And like I said, you know, uh, like I've, like I've said many times before, it's, it's been great having you as a friend and I always try to join in and support um, what you're doing. I do like it. I do listen. I do try to support as much as I can. Um, and, uh, no matter where I am on planet earth, we'll always be friends. I agree. Well, thank you again for having me. And, and, uh, hopefully we'll see you, um, before we'll see each other before I end up taking off. Sounds good. All right, bud. I want to thank John for coming on the show. If you want to follow him on Instagram, you can follow him at, at Anaya, A-N-A-Y-A underscore sports cars. Follow his adventures as he prepares to, he doesn't post a lot, but as he prepares to pack up and move back to Japan, follow him. It's always good stuff to look at. It's always good to have people like him on the show. And I probably say this a lot, but we're just car guys talking about life. He's gone through a lot of life events, life things. The world he came back to in California seems significantly different than the world that he left before he moved to Japan. Now, is that because Japan changed him that much? Or did we really change that much as a country in the last five, six years? That's rhetorical. You have to answer that within yourself. If you're talking to yourself as I said that, then I've done my job and this has been a successful podcast episode. I want to thank Wright Honda and Wright Toyota, Four Wheel Online, Cell Shop Wireless Services, Patreon Business Supporter, Kui Automotive out of Winter Garden, Florida, Pell Construction of Calgary, Michigan, Big House, Small Home Design out of Ashford, Virginia, and Traverse City, Michigan, Shaving Success with West Tankersley out of Boise, Idaho. I apologize. There have been some inquiries to sponsor this podcast. I think that there's going to be some room coming up at the end of this year, if not the beginning of next year. So if you're interested, let's talk. Your musician Delta Podcast Upgrade. You can also join the Patreon for as little as $3 a month. Get access to bonus audio as well as show swag. I know I say that every week, but I mean it every week. Thank you, Mark Stoneman, Catherine Cox, Eddie Ramos, Richard Garys, Byron Jones, Bojo, and Oscar Drew Bunkley, and David Garner. Pick up hard parking swag at the hardparkingpod.com store. Email me, hardparkingpodcast at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at jfinning. And join the Hard Parking Violations Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash hardparkingmedia. I can't grow that you tell the world how great this show is. Happy Labor Day. Happy anniversary to me. Let's do this. Let's grow this thing together, and I'll talk to you all next week. Shut up! <laughs> now it's stripping time. Ain't nobody got time for that.